God's got to say will help you always. Um, turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to start reading at one of the most misunderstood and a strongly misinterpreted scripture by some people. A lot of people don't, but it seems like it's got some controversy to it. Philippians chapter 2 verse 12. That song um, that we just uh, just did, there's a verse in the Bible that says, I know who I have believed in and I am committed it committed it unto him against that day. It's taken straight from Scripture. So, uh, But Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. You heard me say this morning, I like the book of Philippians. If you've never read it or studied it much, I strongly recommend you take your Bible and spend a little bit of time in the book of Philippians. Does anybody remember what happened to Paul when he went to Philippi? Put in jail, beat, put in jail. All right, is everybody there? All right. Philippians chapter two, verse 12. Wherefore, my beloved, as he have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure to do all things without murmurings and disputings, that he may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom he shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do e joy and rejoice with me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this day that you've given us and for this time together. And God, for this opportunity to always stand. God, behind your pulpit, God, and open your word and hear what thus saith the word of God. Lord, the Bible has never failed to amaze me. Lord, it's beyond our comprehension. Man could have never written it. God, I know it's one of the greatest, uh, th- I guess, God, I don't know of anything on earth that's ever been attacked more than your Bible. And Lord, we thank you for it. We pray for the service this evening. Pray that you give me the words here just for a few moments. Holy Spirit, help me to get to the point, be direct, but not uh, try to intentionally move so fast that, God, I miss the point that you want to make. So help us this evening, Lord, as we go through this. We need you, God. God, I'm not anything. Lord, I certainly need you this evening, Lord. And Holy Spirit, we ask and pray in your name, Jesus, amen. Um, As I said here in your hearing in the beginning, verse 12 is extremely misunderstood scripture sometimes by a lot of people. It is not a contradiction. It does not mean that you're to work for your salvation. And, And we're going to talk about that a little bit more as we go into this. I'll just give you a brief introduction now, Paul, uh, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, had just given some uh, encouragement to them. In the beginning of chapter 2, uh, he tells them that uh, in verse 1, I'm just going to read a couple of verses that I'm just going to kind of tell you what takes place afterwards. He said, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, 
if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies fulfill me my joy, that it be like-minded, having the same love and of one accord of one mind. A lot of people read that verse that says a Honda Accord is a biblical car. I guess so. And he tells them not to uh, let nothing be strive for vainglory, but esteem others better than themselves. In other words, look at other people and say, I wish I was as good a Christian as they are. That's more or less what the Bible's saying, that we should not put ourselves on a pedestal and say, man, I tell you what, I'm glad I'm not like them. It's opposite of what we're supposed to do, amen? And he says, look not every man on his own things, but every man also in the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. He said he had been in the form of God, that are not robbed of equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took up in the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. Had been found in fashions of man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Then it goes on to say that God exalted him because of that, and that Jesus' name, every knee should bow, and every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord. And so Paul comes down to verse 12, and actually what he's doing here says, Wherefore, my beloved, as he have always obeyed. Now, if you go back to what I just read, you realize that Jesus obeyed everything God gave him to do. He was obedient to what he was supposed to do, to what he was told and asked to do. Uh, it would do us good a lot of times if we'd be obedient, wouldn't it? Uh, we'd be obedient to God. If kids would be obedient to their if if people would be obedient to their bosses and so on and so forth. Uh, in this world, unfortunately, in this country, it has become common and popular to rebel against what you're told. Our leaders has actually encouraged that at times. I don't understand that. We're seeing the results of it, amen? Kids, let me go and tell you. If you this, and I promise, uh, this is just what God gave me. This is not for any particular person or persons. This is just what God gave me. That's how God works things out. Uh, I promise you, God is not pleased when you disobey your parents. But he says, Wherefore, my beloved, as they have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So in other words, what he's saying is you have this salvation that has been brought to you by Jesus Christ and you need to work that salvation. You need to work inside of that. God has given you a work because he saved you. And Paul's saying, Jesus did the work that God sent him to do. I have did the work that God sent me to do. And now you need to do the work that God has given to you. That is what the scripture is telling us. And he's saying, Jesus obeyed, and you've obeyed in my, in my uh, presence, you've obeyed in my absence, and don't quit doing that. Continue that. The more you and I learn to obey God, there's a couple of things that's going to happen. There was a lady that uh, died quite a few years ago in our, out in our community. She was well known. I don't know how old she was. She was in her mid-90s or something by the time she was called home. And my mom was sitting by her bedside just a day or two before she passed away and she was in pain. She was crying out. She said, God, why are you mad at me? She was hurting. They couldn't, it seemed like they couldn't give her anything to help the pain. She said, Lord, please just call me home. Why are you mad at me? And I never will forget my mother telling me about that. God wasn't mad at her. Folks, that's just part of a, a difficulty of life. Life ain't easy. Life ain't fair. Thank God it's not either. Because if you and I got what was fair, folks would be in hell right now. The, the thing is, dear sweet old lady, I heard her say one time, when heaven moves, 
Help us with it. Anytime you get obedience to God and you start learning obedience to the Holy Spirit, Satan takes notice of that and he comes along the side of you just the same as, it's almost like the cartoons, the little white angel on his shoulder and the little devil on his shoulder whispering in each ear. And they're both trying to get your attention. But all the while, God is saying, I'm right here, I'm right here, I'm right here. And, and we're, it's like we're fighting this battle to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. But notice verse 12. For it is God. That's what I want to title this, for it is God. It is God that's capable. It is God that is able. It is God that you need to put your focus on. I realize, excuse me, you can't ignore the wrong in your life. You can't ignore the thing. I'm not telling you, got choked, to ignore things in your life. But I'm telling you, just as we preached about this morning, when God gives you a word, when something happens in your life, when God has come through for something, put your eyes on him and don't move that. Let me give you this little point that I'm going to preach just a few points here real quickly. Uh, Someone told me about another young preacher that made this point, and I thought it was excellent. And I was wondering when I could share it. When Peter stepped out of the boat and walked on the water to go to Jesus, I've heard all kinds of opinions of that. And I'm not going to get into the opinions, but I was going to tell you that apparently God was somewhat forward or he wouldn't have allowed it to happen. So he's walking on the water, going to Jesus. His eyes are on Jesus, and when he gets to Jesus, he takes his eyes off of him. A lot of times you and I will pray and seek God when we finally get to Jesus. That's when we look away. We should be the more intent then because I don't know about you, but in my life, let me try to illustrate this real quickly. As As a child, we stayed outside most of the time. Sometimes by force, sometimes by choice. But they would play king of the hill, king of the mountain. Not a very safe game, but we played it. And somebody would be at the top, and the other ones would, the idea was to climb up and yank your your friend, whatever, whoever they were, by whatever means necessary to the bottom of the hill, and you was going to be the one on top. And whatever means necessary, you kept them from taking you off the top. The only rule we ever had is you couldn't kick in the face or the ribs. That was about it. But some of those hills had a lot of loose dirt. You would climb up three, four steps and the dirt would break loose and you'd take five or six back. Climb up three, I mean, finally you'd reach the top. Could you imagine going up a hill like this and you finally get to the top. You can step on top and you said, I'm just going to let go. And you slide back down when the top was in reach. Too much of the time, you and I are right to the point of getting to Jesus and we let go. And Satan is right there to stomp you when that happens. So he's telling us here, Paul is encouraging them. It gets tough, it gets difficult, but your obedience is a must. Let me give you just a few things and I'll get out of the way. He says, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. 
not yours, not mine's, his good pleasure. God sees something in you that you or no one else can see. God has a, has a, has a lens inside of you that nothing or no one else has. He's the only one that can see that. And he's the one that's trying to bring that out. He's the one that's trying to fulfill that and make that happen. And he says, and it's his good pleasure. He said, do all things without murmurings and disputings. So number one, it is for it is God that satisfies. If you're murmuring and complaining, you're probably not satisfied. Pretty good chance. That's just good old common country horse sense right there, isn't it? I mean, uh, most of the time, you and I, things will go wrong in our life and we are so quick to criticize, so quick to gripe, me included, and we, and we find all the reasons that things that are wrong in our life rather than saying, God, I'm satisfied in you, I'm content in you, come what may, Lord, I've got you and I will not gripe about this, I will not quarrel about this, I am not gonna murmur and complain, but God, I'm gonna trust you for it is God that doeth the, 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 doing the satisfied. It is God that's working in me. It is God that sees something in me that I can't see and I want to trust him for that to come out and shine as a bright light to this world for Jesus Christ because he's shined for me. Verse 15, he says that he may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom he shines lights in the world. Number two, for it is God that shines. Let me say something here real quick. Let's, let me back up again. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I dare say most Christians today have almost zero fear of God, let alone the world. A lot of Christians today do not fear God, what he can and will do if you disobey him, especially deliberately. If you go and say, I don't care what the Bible says, I'm going, and I'm not, this isn't against one in particular person or persons, this is just what God gave me and this is what I'm preaching. And he says that, that so much of the time, so many of us, all the time, we will, something will come against us, come to us, we know what the Bible says, but the temptation is just a little bit too much. It could be anything. And sometimes we'll say, well, it just happened. Well, did you set yourself up in a position for it to happen? Or did it just... There are times that things will come upon you, and yes, it is, it just happened. I mean, man, I mean, it can be that way, but a lot of the time, we'll put ourselves in a position for it to. For it is God. He says in verse 13, that he may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God. You know, growing up, my parents were protective. Thank God they were at the time. I hated their guts for it sometimes. I mean, I'm not telling them anything they don't know. They would always ask, I'd say, can I go stay at such and such? And the first thing out of their mouth, most of the time they say, who's their parents? What difference does it make? Well, I realize now at this ripe old age of, of, of a half a century, it makes all the difference in the world. I like to say I'm half a century old instead of, Hating it. I used to be a quarter of a century old. I like that. I'm a half a century old. That makes it sound like something, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Watch I get three quarters of a century older. Anyway, let me get back to preaching and quit meddling. Um, that he may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God. You see, sometimes God is trying to protect you. Just as my parents were protective of me, would not allow me to do things, God sometimes is trying to protect you from something. 
You see, some of these people that I wanted to hang with were not harmless. They were not blameless. They were harmful and they were blameful. Earnly so. Is that a word? It was just now. Without rebuke. You see, you're the son of God. God wants to shine, wants you to shine as a light. He wants to shine out through you. He wants to be proud of you and say, that's my child. One of the reasons my parents were so protective of me because they didn't want, they didn't want me to be the child that everyone said, that's him. In a negative context. They wanted me to be the child that said, yeah, that's him. Yeah, he's a good kid. Thank God I knew how to put on a good front. Anyway, but, but they... God is trying to keep you harmless and blameless in this world. Folks, God is trying to work something in you and I that you can't see, that only he can. He says, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom he shines, the lights in the world, number one, for his God that number two, it's for his God that shines. Do you realize in this nation right now, we have some of the most twisted concepts that I've, ever, that I've heard in all of my life. I'm going to say a bold little thing here, and it's okay. I don't mind. When I was in school, if someone would have came out as homosexual, a boy, they would have got the, the, the tar thumped out of them. We had some ideas that there were some girls that potentially were, and they were watched. They was, I mean, some of the guys was fascinated with it. I'm just being honest and real, but, some, but a lot of times we were disgusted by it. Nowadays, it's praised. Not only, is it, not only has it went from being disgusting, it's praised. I saw a video the other day of, uh, if I, can, I can't get its name right, Dulvaney or something, the one who Bud Light put under a can. Thank you. He said, today is my first day of being a woman. I've already cried twice. I've bought a dress I couldn't afford and just went through all this stuff. Then it went to this real woman. She said, well, I was a woman today. I drew breath and I always have been. She said, if, that's, if, she said, if you've just been a woman for one day, you have failed. She said, because I've been a woman from the first moment I drew breath of air. Folks, realize now, let me bring it down another step, but I'm trying to hurry. We as a church do not realize how much the world has infiltrated the church. God is trying to protect his church from this world and we as Christians are allowing too much of the world in our life. We want to be, we don't want to be excluded. We don't want to be peculiar. We don't want to shine as a light for God. We want to shine as a light the, the way we want to shine. And God, for it is God that shines in you and if he's going to shine in you, then you must do things God's way, not yours. He says in verse 16, holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Number one, for it's God that satisfies. It is God that shines. Number three, for it is God that is service. Let me explain to you what I mean. I know different preachers and Christians from a preacher, there was a preacher in, in Gilmer County. They had buses that went out everywhere. And I don't mean vans, I mean buses and picked up kids. 
They had a week's camp meeting up in, uh, in Braxton County at a facility up there that people from all over the country came to. I mean, this was becoming one of the top uh, camp meetings you could go to. It was an amazing week with God. People from all over the country coming there to preach. And this preacher was making so much of a change, so much of a difference. And some way, somehow, some young lady caught his eye. And she, caught it, she kept catching his eye to the point that his wife no longer caught his eye. And he ended up leaving his wife for this lady. I think that facility is on the verge of being totally closed now. It's rarely used. You see, so easily you and I can get taken down if we start looking at the wrong things. Could you imagine running your whole life for Jesus and you get near the end, you, you commit some, some kind of sin, you make some kind of mistake and it's all wiped away in a moment. David Cook, as far as I'm concerned, a great man of God, lives down near Beckley. He had a stroke a few years ago. He can't preach nothing like he used to. He still has power. But he, I mean, he, man, he's preached some amazing messages. He was talking one time. He preached on a message. The name of it was David was afraid, or Paul was afraid of sin. You better be. He said he knew a preacher who fell into a way with a woman. He said, "I'm the most miserable man in shoe leather." He traded a few moments of worldly pleasure for a lifetime of pain. And let me go and say this: it ain't just the men, women. It's the women too. The service you do for Jesus. Notice what he said. Holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ. In other words, this is out in front of me. This is what I'm focused on. This is what I'm looking at. I'm looking at Jesus and not anything else. My eyes are on him. And he says that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. You know, the Bible also goes on to say, Paul said, for as much as you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain vain what we do for Jesus will never be for naught I've talked to people who work for different people sometimes and it's one of the saddest things I think there is is for some fly by night scumbag come by and claims he's going to recarpet some woman's some lady's house or he's going to re-roof it or re-shingle it and they give them half the money down to go ahead and buy the material and get started and then they fly, they fly town and never come back and rob these precious people of hard-earned money that they don't have. But it's a necessity. No, God is not a shyster. He's never one time held back payment from me, and he won't. He's not going to demand so much up front and then skip town. He's going to pay up every time. Your work in the Lord will never be in vain. For it is God that worketh in you to service. Lastly, he said, for the same cause also do we joy and rejoice with me. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you that I may also be of good comfort that he know that I when I know of your state. I'm sorry, I skipped a couple verses there, didn't I? In verse 17, he says, yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do we Joy and rejoice with me, for it is God to sacrifice. 
you must, you've got to realize it's God that satisfies. It is God that's going to shine. It is God that you're doing a service for. And it is God that you need to sacrifice for. What Paul is saying here, what this is a picture of, he says in verse 17, yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I join rejoice with you all. Back in, in these Bible times, if a captain made a port and he made it to a certain destination, he would oftentimes take an animal and sacrifice it or wine and pour the first drink of it out to God and say this is to God and this is the sacrifice to him for thanking him for bringing me safely to port and certain sacrifices they were to take and pour wine thing and it was to God it was the, the first fruits it was the best it was the impart to him and it was thanking him for what they did they were giving a sacrifice to God and what Paul is saying is, I'm willing to be that sacrifice for you. Here's where it counts. Are you willing to let God make you a sacrifice? Not for you. For others. For others. Are you willing to let God pour you out and be a sacrifice? Not for you. For others. He said to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. God has given you a salvation that no one else could give. He's given you a salvation that no one can take. But you must be the one to decide, you know what? He's worth it. I'm going to let him shine through me as a light. I'm going to let him have his way. I'm going to be obedient to what God has told me to do and asked me to do. And, and I probably don't preach to families enough like I should I want to try, I tell myself all the time I need to start doing that more. But folks, let me tell you something. You need to take interest in your kids and kids, you need to take interest in your parents. It'd do you good to obey them every now and then. I thank God that my parents sometimes were harder on me than what I wanted them to be. Back in my day, mullets were the thing. They made a comeback. I thought about growing one. And my wife said, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> you, you sleep at night. I know where you sleep. My hair would get to about right here somewhere, about the top of my shoulders. I wanted her down my back. By the time it hit my shoulders, Dad would say, son, it's time for a haircut. And I've heard people say, well, said, I, I can't make him get it cut. I'm thinking, don't they live under your roof? I don't know how things are in your house, but in my house, friend, what dad said went. He was the boss. And if I didn't think he was, he would enforce his rules and show me he was boss. That's the way God made it. And there were certain people dad wouldn't let me hang around with. I, let me tell you, I pushed the limits of my parents with everything that I had. I stretched their trust in me with all that I had in me. I was not a good teenager at times. I was rebellious and regretfully so. I don't know why I'm on this. And at times I would almost get so mad at my mom and dad because they wouldn't let me go places or do things that the kids would do. I had a curfew. My buddies didn't, but I did. Looking back, my parents saved me from so much heartache and pain, from so much trouble, from so much hurt. I've got enough as it is. 
Thank God they didn't allow me to get more because I would be consumed if, I, if, if they would have let me have my way. I would not be in a good place. I guarantee, I might be here, but I'll guarantee I'd be different than what I am. I'd have more scars than what I got now. I got enough. Father, we thank you again for this time together. God, there's so much more I know I could say, but Lord, I, I believe you're done. So God, I don't want to go past you. Lord, I know the message may seem strange. I know to some it may seem like I'm right at them, but God, it was not that way. It was exactly what you give me. Lord, I didn't know who was going to be here and who wasn't. Only you did. And God, as a matter of fact, you know yourself that you put this verse on my heart this afternoon and you gave me the outline setting right here on this front pew of this choir. God, I didn't plan this message. You did. I was sitting there looking at it. Lord, I had no clue what you wanted to say. And God, all of a sudden, you rolled it right onto the page. God, only you can do that. And I thank you and I praise you. Lord, I don't have a personal vendetta or an agenda. You know that, God. I want to help people. And I pray this morning or this evening, this afternoon, God, that you've done that. Lord, I ask that you take this message and you do with it what you will. In Jesus' your name we pray. Amen. As we stand, we get a song.